Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 380. Soon these independent things that I was doing were really the way I wanted to spend my time. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue. Thanks for joining me today. And if you're new here, welcome to the show. Even though the episode number is 380, by my calculation, there are really over 475 episodes given the tips and talk segments, the bashes, and some of the bonus shows that I've included in. Makes sense, since the podcast is now in its eighth year. I can't even believe that. And during this time, we've covered a lot of ground. How to start and grow your business, stories from many of you who have done just that, how to choose and use social media sites, build your website, Oh my gosh, there is so much information here for you, but not necessarily easily at your fingertips. So I made a tool for you that categorizes by topic the episodes of the show, but only the ones that stay relevant over time because, yeah, there are some from past years that just don't work today. The world is changing so fast, right? You can use this tool to zero in on whatever topic you want information on at the moment. Do you want to hear from others in your specific industry? How about details on Pinterest or setting up an email strategy? You can now easily find the right episodes and create your priority listening roster. Consider this your Gift Biz Reference Center at a glance. To check it out, go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash topics. It's a Google Sheet best viewable from your computer versus your phone. Make sure to look at the bottom where I have five separate sections laid out for easy topic reference, kind of like chapters of a book. I've never seen another podcast do this, and I honestly wish they would. It makes listening to the shows you need at the moment so much easier. Again, to see the Gift Biz Reference Center, go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash topics. Today, I have a really strong show lined up for you. You're going to hear how Doug reflected on his life and thought about where he was spending his time. Then he did some rearranging. Let's be honest, too often we live to work instead of working to live. Putting yourself at the top and doing things that inspire and fuel you makes for happy and rich days now, not at some point in the future. If the lesson Doug demonstrates with life overall isn't enough, he also gives us detail on how he identified his new path. This is the perfect case study, if you will, on how to start and grow your handmade business, allowing your interests and passions to be included in your life every single day. Our guest today is Doug Heifetz of Lost and Forged. 
Doug creates his artwork to celebrate surprising transformations and to make upcycling irresistible. Through his small studio operation, Lost and Forged, he offers a wide range of original jewelry, accessories, Judaica items, and decor pieces, all made by hand from antique silverware and other reclaimed metal objects. He began his artistic work in 2015, and since then, Doug has shipped his pieces to buyers in dozens of countries overseas and all 50 U.S. states. Doug lives in Silver Spring, Maryland with his two children. He was a full-time rabbi of a local synagogue for 11 years, but shifted his main focus to his artwork in 2017. Doug, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, Sue. I'm so happy to be here. I am really excited to dive into your story. You've got a lot of interesting things going on that I am planning to uncover here. Fantastic. (laughs) But first, before we do that, I'd love for you to describe yourself in a little bit of a different way, kind of a creative angle, which I know you're all about creative. That is through a motivational candle. So if you were to make a candle that just really resonates with you, what would it look like by color and quote? My candle. It's such a great question, first of all. And now it makes me actually want to go make candles. (laughs) I am not a candle maker, but it's piqued my interest. But the candle that I would make for my motivational candle would be on the bright side of a coppery orange, and it would be metallic. Orange is playful and energizing, and my work really draws on playful, whimsical energy. It would be metallic because metal is always connected to the earth, first of all, and metal can always be reshaped. To me, metal stands for the opportunity to transform, to transform ourselves, to transform our world, certainly to transform a piece of metal for starters. The quote on my candle would come from Al Hirschfeld, who was a cartoonist, caricaturist. And he said, artists are just children who refuse to put down their crayons. And to me, to really get into the spirit of my work, especially when I'm creating something new, I need that playful spirit and that confidence that's not about being judged. It's not about thinking about how it will be critically received, but about drawing on a playful spirit and doing something whimsical, doing something new, doing something that intrigues me, and then gradually making it better. I love that visual, too, of artists all being children who don't put down their crayons, because you know how they talk about the act of creating and making does something to you inside, like it affects your soul and your spirit. And it's kind of one in the same. We used to be so lighthearted and carefree as children. And to be able to bring that back to ourselves as an adult is, I think, a lot of reasons why people start hobbies and then go on and want to share what they're making to the world. Absolutely. And the first thing that I caught when you were talking was that idea of transformation. We never get too old to be able to transform ourselves in what we do either, which I know is going to be part of your story. So I'm just going to go with that. That's a great segue, actually, because you did a little transforming yourself to get to Lost and Forged, didn't you? Absolutely. I mean, I think I've always been somebody who likes something new, who likes a sense of newness. Mm -hmm. And so, yes. I mean, I was the full-time rabbi of a local synagogue, and in most ways, it was a job that I loved and that I felt good about. But I not only craved something new, I craved doing something more independent, more entrepreneurial, more of my own imagination, something that I could build from the ground up, which I never really felt like I had the opportunity to do as a rabbi of a long-established synagogue. 
When you first started as a rabbi, did you think that that was what you were going to do for your whole life? I thought probably so, yeah. Okay. And then at what point was it that you started thinking, wait, this isn't completely fulfilling me. I need to add in or do something else because you were probably thinking just else, not instead of at that point. I think probably around that seven year mark or maybe eight years in, I was craving something that I could build that was entrepreneurial, that was of my own imagination and that people wanted, that people would be drawn from many, many different walks of life and from many different parts of the world to be part of or to buy, you know, the value and want to buy it directly. That appealed to me. So you already knew you wanted it to be something tangible, something that you would make. Yes, I craved having something that I created that was tangible. I didn't immediately know that it had to be like a product or an artistic creation. And so I was playing with various software ideas, but I was drawn to do something that was more independent and more of my own building of my own imagination. Okay. All right. And so how did you land on what you're doing? Okay. So you said you were thinking software. Take us through a little bit of that discovery time. Okay. So there were a few things that I was putting some energy into and some of them intersected with the congregation. Although I ended up feeling like these weren't what the congregation was wanting and needing. So I made a few mobile games for iPhones and Android through the synagogue with a religious school class, with another student who was interested. And these were games that belonged to the synagogue that had a certain degree of success. But I didn't have technical coding skills as a game developer. And also eventually it came back to the fact that I wasn't really a gamer. And these weren't things that I was passionate about, although it was a fun idea. I had a business partner. We had a very ambitious software project to build a multi-faith web service for the study and discussion of the sacred writings of the world's different religious traditions. And that was very exciting. I had one other software project at some point. At the same time, I had started to make things. I was late at night watching my shows. The rest of the family was asleep and I wanted something to do with my hands that would be productive. But that wouldn't feel like that wasn't taking out my laptop to reply to messages from the congregation. I wanted to be in a more relaxed or more imaginative mode than that. And I started bending silverware. I remembered that once upon a time in college, I had a roommate who bent some stainless steel forks from the cafeteria into very rough bracelets. And I thought, maybe I'll try that. And I started bending some forks into crazy shapes. And I looked online also to see what other people, I thought, well, maybe other people are doing this. Let me see what I can find. And I was blown away by what I saw. And every single thing that I saw, I wanted to try to make. And pretty soon I started having a lot more ideas about what I wanted to make, things that I hadn't seen. I had a vision about it that was motivated, that was playful, and had to work to start catching my skills up to my vision. Because I had all these things I wanted to make. And started learning, started playing with it, started also spending money on tools, on materials, and started posting on Facebook just these crazy things I was making. And soon people I knew were starting to ask where they could buy them. And I wasn't sure, but I thought about it. And I was already spending money on tools and on materials. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I can sell things and that will be a way to recoup some of the money that I'm spending or maybe make a little bit. And that's essentially how Lost and Forged was born. And in the meantime, I had a software project I was working on that was only remotely connected to the congregation. I was starting to make things with my hands and sell these things. And soon these independent things that I was doing were really the way I wanted to spend my time. And eventually I thought, yeah, I want to be free to pursue these things. And I want to serve the congregation well, or I don't want to do them a disservice. And it became clear to me that there was a different direction I had to go in. 
But when that paycheck stopped, it's great getting a paycheck. And that paycheck stopped. I gave the congregation a year notice. It's a big deal hiring a new rabbi for them. And when that paycheck stopped, there was really just one of these entrepreneurial ideas that I was working on that was making money. And that was lost and forged. And I quickly realized this is what I put my energy into. And it has continued to be exciting and a source of growth and of fun and of inspiration and of making it a living. Well, Doug, it's such a good story. And I appreciate you going through all of the background to this because I think it will serve and help a lot of people who are listening because we've got a lot of listeners, you guys out there who know who you are, who are doing other jobs but have that passion kind of like you did. In the beginning, there was more you wanted to do in your life, but it wasn't like you automatically knew right away what it was going to be. You tested out a couple of very different options, right? Like the online gaming software and apps versus something that was more with your hands. So it's not like you automatically land on that thing right in the beginning. And your story is a great demonstration of that. So thank you for sharing all of that. Two other points about the story that I want to highlight is when you saw that you wanted to do the forging, I guess I'll call it. By the way, I was chuckling when you said, so I just started bending silverware. (laughs) Oh, I just like went to the drawer and pulled out a fork and started (laughs) bending it or something. It was so funny when you said that. But you made the point that you needed to go online and learn more about how you could actually do what you were envisioning. Absolutely. So share a little bit about where you educated yourself and how you educated yourself. Because people need to understand that if you have a dream and a vision, you don't necessarily have all the skills yet. You need to do some research and educating to get to where you want to be going. Right. Absolutely. We're fortunate that you can learn how to do almost anything online. I mean, YouTube videos were hugely helpful. Now, some of them, people were using some crazy methods (laughs) that didn't work for me. But there was a huge amount of YouTube videos or in just looking at photographs of what people had done. Quickly, I started realizing, though, that what I was doing, these things I was creating with my hands, really, I was going into a craft of being a metalsmith. Mm. And I could learn from other people who were using specifically silverware. But I quickly also wanted to learn from serious jewelers. At some point, I'd been making things for, I don't know, five or six months, and it ended up taking an eight-session intro to silversmithing class that was mostly focused on jewelry, on, well, craft jewelry, but also moving toward the fine jewelry. And that was hugely helpful because I started learning much more refined techniques and tools instead of sort of garage Home Depot tools, which some of which I still use for my metalwork and for making jewelry, but also started learning a much, much more refined set of tools and techniques that were just so much more fine and attentive to small detail than I had ever imagined. It challenged me in new ways, taught me to set gemstones, or started to learn to set gemstones, and just really brought my technique and moved my technique and vision in a whole new direction. Well, and probably also helped you define your style the technique and the quality of your items. And when you talk about, you know, there were a lot of things that you were seeing that weren't necessarily what you wanted to do. Some of those things might have inspired your vision too. So you're taking and looking at other things and then making it your own after that. Oh, absolutely. All right. And I've already had a chance to look at your website and see your products. I also want to add to that, that there is a group called Flat Wearable. It's a small company that makes tools specifically for silverware jewelry, and they have an awesome online 
Facebook group. And that's always been a great source of learning and of sharing for me. So it's something that's much more specific than just jewelry, very specific to the tools and techniques that are really about working with flatware. Oh, I love that you shared that. Both that and then delving more into fine jewelry techniques and a combination of those things have both been hugely helpful. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wonderful. So continuing on with your journey. So at some point you decided then maybe I'm enjoying doing this more or would like to flip the weight of what I'm doing versus being a rabbi. So talk us through how that transition happened. I am a rabbi, both in my training, my identity, and I still work as a rabbi, but in a much lower key way, much less amount of my time. Would it be right to say that you flipped like it used to be that being a rabbi and all that you did with that was your major thing and now Lost and Forged is your major focus? Absolutely. So at some point I felt like a rabbi who moonlit as an entrepreneur and as a metalsmith, and now I'm a metalsmith who moonlights as a rabbi. Got it. (laughs) In terms of my professional time. Well, it sounds like you enjoy both. And so this was just readjusting to fit what your desires were. Absolutely. Okay. And so you said you gave them notice. A year. A year notice. Well, you know, and I was working, I think I had a three-year contract with the synagogue at that point. So one year felt like an appropriate amount of time. Okay. So just a side note, it has nothing to do with further conversations, but I'm just curious. So are you still working with that same synagogue now? No, different synagogue. I mean, I have a fond connection with that synagogue. I keep in touch with people from there, but it's a different synagogue that I'm working. Got it. Okay. So what did you do then during that year to prepare yourself? So you already made the plan. And I was a longtime planner, too, when I started my first business. I really looked at it, planned, got everything together, etc. What types of things were you doing during that year as you were equipping yourself, quote unquote, for more full-time Lost and Forged? Many things. I remember taking some online classes through Creative Live, just self-paced. Were they business-type classes? Business classes for makers. Okay, got it. Business classes for makers and designers. So that was very helpful, and that was really helping me to think more about. Part of that was preparation to sell wholesale. And that was the way that I first wanted to build, at least as far as Lost and Forge went, that was the way that I really wanted to make it bigger, to grow through wholesale. And that wasn't as successful as I wanted. But I think it helped me straighten out my pricing. It helped me think through my pricing much more clearly. I think there were a lot of things that were helpful about that, even though the wholesale direction that I was planning to go was not sufficient in the end. Okay. And were you doing that during this year period, this transition period? I was certainly taking some of those classes and thinking about how to build my business in a wholesale direction. Okay. So you had the vision of wholesale and then down the road, because you would test everything, right? And see what works. And it's different for different products, different areas of the country. What works for one person doesn't necessarily always work for somebody else. But these are all options for everybody, of course. So to help our listeners who are just starting out, you're talking about training and learning both on technique in making your product and then also getting some guidance, thoughts about business development. What specifically did you do as you were starting Lost and Forged? What were the very first steps you took? I mean, I thought of a name. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And where did this come from? I mean, the first thing that I did before I thought about it as a business, I just created things and I shared them with the world. 
I was excited about them. I think for a lot of people, there is a hesitancy to share. And for me, it's the opposite. I'm always very excited to share. Like, I can't wait to share what I've done. Oh, my gosh, Doug. I am so glad you brought that up because you are absolutely right. I think people want to like stay in a private box where people that they know don't see them until they're successful. But the people who you know and who already care about you, family and friends, are the best people to try things out with because you already have a relationship with them. The worst thing that's going to happen is it's not going to work, right? And that's fine. They still love you. Everything is fine. But you were talking about in the very beginning, before we are at the question I'm asking you now, when you start your name, when you figure out what the name of the business is going to be, you already told me that you had people who were interested in buying your product. Early on, people were buying. From early on. And that's validation that what you're making, people have an interest in. If it's the right audience, they're willing to buy. So validating is absolutely the best thing that you can do. And I've been trying to drive this into everybody and you're a demonstration of doing it perfectly. So before you even start your business, before you even name it, you're Mm -hmm. seeing that there's a market for your product. So that's amazing. Okay, take it away. I just had to interject there. You're reinforcing something I talk about regularly. So I had to say that. Yes. So that's always been super important. I mean, the sharing with people has always fueled what I do has been part of the most important inspiration. So I was making things, I was sharing, I was learning to make, broadening the types of things I made, learning to make them better, and eventually started, because I was selling things, started to envision it, because I was selling things and because I was interested in entrepreneurship and in my own path as an entrepreneur, started thinking about it as a business. I picked a name. I, at some point in that next year, I mean, this is still a couple of years before I quit my day job, that's incorporated as or registered as an LLC, started an Etsy shop, eventually started a website and was also doing more craft shows and art shows. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot right there. Okay. So you registered as an LLC, which was fabulous. How did you decide on your name? Lost and forged. To me, it was the simplest phrase that described what I do. Both, I mean, you know, it's a little bit of a pun. It sounds like lost and found, but I'm dealing with old objects that I'm transforming with metalwork techniques. Mm -hmm. And so did you check to make sure that no one else had the name, that you could get the URL, like all that kind of thing? All of that. And you were lucky, which means it was meant to be, Doug. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think I wouldn't have gone very far with the name if I wouldn't have. I was busy checking those things as I thought of the name. Right. And I lived in a space where I was excited about doing those kinds of things. What was I craving at that stage in my life? Building something new, building something from the ground up, sort of choosing, helping to choose or formulate its identity. I had almost the compulsive tendency to look up domain names, things like that. Got it. Okay. For any business idea that I had. And here was a business idea that was, you know, where I was already busy making things. So, of course, I was going to think about its identity and its name and not go very far with that name if it weren't sort of available, if it were heavily associated with another brand or business or, you know. Very smart. Because then there's the confusion. And if you have a name that someone else has, or you have to add the, you know how people add numbers or put underline marks in between words and all of that, that just causes confusion. So (laughs) that was really, really smart to do. I think it would be possible to put too much energy into that too early. You don't want to create, like you said, validating is more important than sort of brand identity at first. 
Yeah. I mean, I say that and I really wanted to emphasize it because I'll find a number of people who the very first thing they do is decide the name because that's a fun project to do. You know, it's very visionary and all that. It is fun. Right. Yeah. But then sometimes they land on a name and go through LLC registration or whatever. And then two years later, their name is completely disconnected from what they're actually selling. That's right. So then they have to go back and do that. So that's the reason it's so important to wait. You can still be searching and thinking, but hold off on doing anything first. Right. I guess I sort of stumbled into those steps in the right order, I guess. No, you're amazing. You are amazing. So I would love to chat both about your online presence and the craft shows, but I want to take them separately. So let's start with the online presence. So the first thing you did there was Etsy, I'm thinking, versus your own website. Well, sometime around the same time, I both started my Etsy shop and started an early version of my website. It was a WordPress website, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was very short-lived. I mean, ever since. So that was maybe the fall of 2015 or so. And then started making things in the summer of 2015, like in June. And then in the fall, I think I both started my Etsy shop and around the same time built a, a WordPress website, which I kind of knew how to do. Why did you do both at the same time? I don't even remember. <laughs> I mean, I built my own website. Overachiever. Think, yeah, yeah, I guess so. You know, I was excited about creating and launching a business. I think I, I kind of knew how to build a WordPress website and it seemed doable. And then Etsy does a great job of making it really easy to start your shop or your store or whatever they call it. The tech skills that you need to get up and running on Etsy are negligible. They make it very approachable and they're amazing at that. And they also bring you at that time, maybe still, but at, certainly at that time, 2015, you could get traffic on Etsy. Are you on both still today? or? I still am on both. I put a lot more effort into my own website, but I still am on Etsy and appreciate Etsy for a lot of reasons. Well, and I would say that there's different audiences that see you on different places too. There are people that will run into you on Etsy who may never discover your website first you know, because they're on Etsy searching. So two different places online, two different audiences, two sets of opportunity. Absolutely. It was a long time before a stranger would discover my website. Right. Whereas strangers would find me on Etsy from early on. I mean, I think it took me a couple of months to make first sale on Etsy. But that was long before I made a first sale to a stranger on my own website. Mm -hmm. It just couldn't have happened on my own. You build a website, even if it's an amazing website, nobody will find it at first. You have to send people there. You have to get people over there. You have to send people there. And then eventually it can build up ways that it can bring in more than just the people you send. Right. Then, So that WordPress website was very short-lived. I think it was by spring of 2016 or so that I built it on Shopify instead. And that's still what I'm using. Amen to that. <laughs> Shopify is my go-to and suggestion for everyone. So I'm glad you said that. I actually have one website. My Gift Biz Unwrapped website is a WordPress website, you know, the one connected with the podcast. And my other business is a Shopify site. So I have experience with both. But love Shopify, and I'm thrilled that you are reinforcing that. <laughs> I think if somebody wants to do e-commerce, you know, not just a website where you show things and can, you know, if you just want a website that's a gallery, I'm sure there's a lot of good ways to do that. But if you want an e-commerce website, unless Shopify is just hugely helpful. Yes, absolutely, for sure. And in having looked at your website, I also love, and I think it's a great practice, that you also show the shows that you're going to be at. That's all listed on the website, and we'll start talking about the shows in a minute. You also have a blog there, yes, which I find very interesting. And I took a peek at a couple of the articles. You take a broad range to what 
a blog could be. Like I've seen that you put the press, the articles that have been in the press as part of your blog. I also saw a couple videos there, right? Yes, absolutely. What is your thinking in terms of what the blog does to reinforce the business? Isn't this a fascinating conversation? We're going to take a short break here and then come right back. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Blog is usually helpful. A huge part of the online orders that I get are connected to the blog. It has taken years and it's still a work in progress, but the blog is one of the best ways to build SEO, to build search engine optimization so you can get found when people search for things online. When people go to Google or the other search engines, probably the single biggest source of website traffic to my website now comes from search, from people searching on Google, mostly looking for spoon rings, but searching for other things too. And starting to blog about those is the way that you tell Google and the world that you have something to say about whatever the topic is. Right. And a blog is new content all the time too. True. Yeah. That's amazing. So what is your thinking? Do you have like a strategy of how often you put up a blog or like how are you deciding what you'll turn into a blog or whether you'll create a blog, a new article or a video? Is that part of a master plan? Be honest. I don't know if I... (laughs) (laughs) I heard that hesitation there. (laughs) Master plan sounds bigger and more organized than I actually am. So, I mean, it's some combination of when I need to and when I can. (laughs) Okay. All right. But you definitely see the importance because I see some consistency there. Absolutely. So the other big way that I send people to my website is through my email list. And when I have something that I want to email out, if it's not like a product or a collection, when I send an email to my customer list or to my list, and there's about 3,000 people on the list or so, and I try to email them about once a week. I need to have somewhere to send them. Every time I send an email, I want to have a place to send them. And basically, I want it to be somewhere on my website. And so often it's when I think about where to send them on my website, I realize I need a new blog entry. I need a new place to send them because if it's not a product page or a collection page, then I need a place to send them. And likely that is going to be a blog article. When I create a new blog entry, a new blog post, that's often my answer to where to send my list on my website. Okay, so your email is kind of the trigger reminder. Very often. Like, oh, I can't just send this email out without some place to send them on my website. So the blog entry. So that's why, you know, for example, when there's press, I'll at least put some of that press on the blog post as a place to send them. You know, oh, here's this new article. I could just send them to that media outlet. But I really, it takes a lot of work to drive traffic. To send my list to check something out online, that takes a lot of work. And in the end, I don't just want to send them to somewhere else on the internet. I want to send them to my website. Then maybe from there to the magazine or newspaper or whoever was kind enough to publish something about me. 
Right. First, I want them to my website to check it out. Yeah, no, that's an excellent, excellent point. And I think you're the first person I've ever seen really doing it that way. Because what you've done is you've taken pictures of the article and then have it as an image in a blog. Right. Maybe a little bit of the text separately. But yeah, so people can check out some of it. And then if they want the full article, usually they can click over to the publication. Yeah, that's perfect. Do you ever talk about like, oh, I was so excited to be featured. I was a little nervous. It's the first time I've ever done a television interview or something like, do you ever give any like personal background to the article? Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if I have. That would be a great thing to do. Yeah. Just a little behind the scenes of how you felt and then look, it resulted in this article. How exciting and fun. Read more wherever. That's a great idea. I like it. It's just so interesting always for other people to hear how these things develop and how they happen or even that they called you up out of the blue and you were so shocked or whatever. I don't know. And you were actually working on this ring. Go see the ring I was working on. And here's the link. That's a great <laughs> idea. Yes. In my, in my blog post at the end, there's always link to different products and things that people can check out. Right. But sometimes there might be a better way to, uh, sometimes those products are closely related to the article and sometimes there's not and there's room for me to share more of that. Yeah. No, I love that you're doing a blog overall because I don't think a lot of people are considering a blog and what it really can do and how it can benefit a product-based business. So I absolutely love that. Yeah. So one of the other directions that blog posts get formulated is answering questions that I see people have often or something that is people often, you know, I get so many questions about spoon ring sizes. What happens if it doesn't fit? How do I know what size to order? And so one of my best read blog posts is about spoon ring sizes and sizing and my resizing process and things like that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Or one of my most well-trafficked blog posts is about the story of spoon rings or the history of spoon rings or the meaning of spoon rings, something like that. And I don't remember how I thought to create that blog post. I don't remember if it was uh, doing research, figuring out what are questions people are asking. But anyway, I wrote a blog post about the history of spoon rings. And that's a great way that people come into my website from search, from search engines. Mm -hmm. It's clearly serving you well. And it's evergreen content. That article is relevant forever. Absolutely. Okay, let's flip over now and talk a little bit about the art shows that you're doing. So you do, it looks like fine art shows mostly. Mostly. A variety. So some are sort of artisan, maker, or crafter shows, but more of them are, well, there's both. More of them are art shows. More of them are juried art shows. Okay. All right. Let's not even talk about the fact that there was a time here in our very recent past that we couldn't do shows very well. Let's just talk about shows, full-blown shows, okay? Sure. Share with us a little bit about what your booth looks like, just a description of your booth. I basically have two booth setups, but let's talk about my favorite, the one I think of as my main one. I call it my mobile boutique. I don't know if you've seen pictures or videos. It's unusual. I did see that. Now that you brought it up, I did see that. Okay, share it with everybody. Yes, and it lives on a trailer, and I tow it with my minivan. And it fits in then, but when I use it, I take the trailer out from under it and set it directly on the ground. It's almost like a small cabin. And the front of it is two doors, two big doors, like big barn doors that I can remove. So when I open up for business, I take the doors off. The thing is setting on the ground. It has like a six inch step up from the pavement. Now, when it's up on the trailer, it's like two and a half feet up from the pavement. And I figured out a way so that I can boost it up off the trailer, roll the trailer out from underneath it, park the trailer somewhere else or take it home for the weekend and set the booth down on the ground. 
I developed the concept on my own. And then a friend who's a master carpenter initially did a lot of the construction. And eventually I worked with him and alongside him and started doing the modifications and things on my own eventually. So virtually there's less setup then apart from positioning the mobile boutique, there's less setup because all of that can just stay there. Right. You still have to set up all the displays with the product, but all of the... No, 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 no. Most of the displays are affixed to the shelves. So I have shelves and like say necklace busts, ring stands. Those are permanently attached. I mean, I can move them, but they're attached with screws and things to the shelves. And then I can leave a lot of my products on them. Really? And they don't rattle around? They just need small adjustment? Oh, they rattle around, but they don't... Yeah, I mean, correct. Okay, so like the necklaces, I'll pin them onto the bust so they don't fly off in transit. Oh my gosh. And then I take out the pins that would show so that they're just showing. And so they can come off easily when people want to try them on or buy them. That sounds like a dream because setup can be so tedious, especially when you have smaller pieces, lots of smaller pieces. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I want to show like 250 pieces. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are rings. A lot of them are small and they have to show. It's not like they're in a bin. I mean, everybody has their different pain points during setup. So I don't want to dismiss the work that other people do, but a painter or a 2D artist can have a bin of prints that people leaf through. And that's fine, but I don't display anything that way. Right. Each piece shows or it's just in storage or it's just in reserve. And then to set up each piece so that it showed, it was killing me. It was driving me crazy. And then the wind would come and knock everything over. Mm, (laughs) And I just couldn't do this. And it was also hard to think about ways to show that were like true to me and true to my brand. To do that, I was creating sort of big, ambitious displays that were really difficult to carry around and really difficult to set up. And still the wind would sometimes knock things over. And it was grueling and it was hard and it was driving me crazy. And I just thought, I can't do this. There has to be a better way. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so if anyone wants to see your mobile boutique, where would an image be that they could see? You can go to my website, lostandforge.com, and then I need to make it easier to find. But if you dig through my blog, you'll find a couple of articles about it. And then also on my email list, at the bottom of every, there's sort of a collage, like a four photo collage at the bottom. And one of them is always of the boutique. I think that's probably where I saw it, actually. Oh, maybe so. Probably at the bottom of the email. Anyway, okay, so our time is starting to wind down here, but I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the way you work your trade shows, like how when people come into the boutique, how you interact with people, just any advice, suggestions, what you found to be great for you in terms of success with connecting with potential customers and people who actually purchase during the show. Okay. So first of all, shows are, I mean, as much as I can talk about the difficulty, shows are just great. It is my chance to share and to show off and it's tons of fun. And I learned early on that started to really inspire me and help me to take my work much more seriously, seeing how people responded to my pieces in person. And so I want to be ready. I want to be, I say hello to everybody. I mean, occasionally if it's so crowded or something, maybe somebody comes in and I don't get to, but my goal is always to say hello to everybody talk to everybody and try to engage with every person who comes in. I want to show them, I want to do as much as I can early on to help them understand what my work is about, ideally from before they even get into the booth. So signage is really important, both signage that people can see from far away and signage people see close up that explain different aspects of it that might not be immediately clear. 
I try to immediately show people something that I think will surprise them. I expect people to have often seen spoon rings, something made from the handle of a spoon, but I try to show them something that they haven't seen before. So a ring that's made from an entire spoon, for example, uh, an entire, usually very small spoon, and usually people haven't seen that before, or a ring that is not only a spoon ring, but that has gemstones, real gemstones that I've set as a jeweler would, and people very often haven't seen that before. Or something else like, you know, one of my candlesticks, where I show them this twisty looking candlestick that looks like a tree. It has tree roots at the bottom. And I say, this candlestick used to be a whole dinner fork until I transformed it. And partly because that's the fun for me. I mean, I get to see how they respond and people often respond with this surprise and delight or a double take that is just tons of fun, you know, that fuels me. And anyway, these are ways that I immediately try to show them something they haven't, that both educates them about my work is and hopefully gives them a sense of surprise and of delight or of fun. And it's serving them and it's serving me and it's educating them about my work. And in some sense, like I'm there to sell and the sales are extremely important to me. But in the moment, it's not super important that the person buys something. I just want to share. And I want them to have fun at my booth and to see something that they enjoy and find interesting. If people, eventually, almost everybody who spends time there, I do ask them to sign up for my email list, usually. And if people ask me for a business card, I do not have them there. I don't have business cards there. Is there a reason? Yes, because, well, the first time was because I forgot my business cards. <laughs> but I had for any number of weeks or months that shows and I was doing more small like farmers markets and little craft shows back then. So I was doing more of them. And I had been trying to get people to sign up for my email list. And basically, they wouldn't. Basically, they were like, I have your card. Oh, it's a nice excuse for them not to share their email. Right. Right. So one day I actually went to the trouble of I had an iPad that was just there so people would sign up and nobody would do it. Or if they did, it felt like they were doing me a big favor. Which then kind of decreases all of the goodwill from your initial interactions with them. A little bit. Right. It wasn't working. People would take business cards and maybe they would get in touch with me. Probably not. I mean, you know, when I take a business card off and I lose it. And but this one day I forgot my business cards or they were in the car and I didn't have time to get them because the show was starting or something. And that day, way more people signed up for my email list. There you go. <laughs> I made it a practice of never having business cards in the booth. Now it's like I'm responding to their request. People say, do you have a card or how can I get in touch with you? I ask them to sign up and I'm being responsive to their need. Oh, yeah. You're flipping the script there. And I also eventually started also saying, well, you get a 15% discount. Uh, yeah, you get a little discount if you sign up for my list. Yeah. That's also motivating, but right. So, yes. Do you ever do like a drawing for a free piece or something if they sign up? Not as part of the sign up, but I have done that as I've had social media contests where I have a giveaway. I see. Okay. Once I had something where I, once I had a fun social media contest where people could suggest the engraving for a ring and I would pick my favorite of them and that person would get the spoon ring with the free engraving on the inside or outside as they wanted. I gotcha. But that was not for email list development. Not for signing up. Correct. All right. Let's just talk for one more minute. Any other tips or thoughts for your booth? Interaction with customers. What else is working for you? The no business cards is a great tip because that's so easy. <laughs> right. And I think for a lot of most people aren't willing to do that. Every I don't know. Everybody's somewhat different needs. Right. For me, it works better if I just don't have them there. <laughs> What else? Be ready to engage. Have displays that eventually, and this can be hard, I think, create displays that reflect your brand. 
So for me, it's about metalwork, it's about reuse, it's about there is sort of a handmade look to it. Those things are important. Mm -hmm. But also it has to be doable. It can't be onerous. It can't just be so burdensome. Ideally, you know, make it a place that's fun for you to be. Right. Welcoming and fun where people want to come in. Right. I mean, I could spend days talking about my booth and what's worked and what hasn't. I mean, I have security cameras because I want people to be able to try. I don't find jewelers often or high-end jewelers often can be behind glass. Most of my pieces can't because I want people to feel to be trying them on. I mean, people come in and try on dozens of spoon rings. Mm -hmm. And then also part of the fun of my business is that I resize the spoon rings right for them right there on the spot. And for a lot of people, it's the closest they ever get to working metalsmith, creating something for them because I'm resizing it for them on the spot using these goofy old tools and saying funny things about it. Oh, that's cool because that's kind of a little demo too. Absolutely. So first of all, I mean, I'm resizing spoon rings and, and that's its own little demonstration. And then people feel like it's custom made for them because I've resized it for them on the spot using funky old looking metalsmith tools. But then I do also have a demonstration bench where I'm often, especially things where I have it set up showing forks that I've been transforming, where I've been sculpting the fork tines, sort of. So sometimes I'm actually working, making things on that little demonstration bench. Other times it's just set up to sort of display the materials, show forks in the mid process of being transformed. I love that idea, too, because if you're at a show and let's say traffic is really slow, then you can actually be working. <laughs> you can be putting it in production time and show time in the same way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. Oh my gosh, Doug, this is so amazing. You're right, we could go on talking for days because I could think of a list of questions <laughs> that I'd want to ask. But for now, I think the best thing would be for us to direct our listeners to where they can see more, have some demonstration of what you're doing, like the blog and all of that. So where's the best place online where we, you would like to send people? Best place to find me online and to learn about me and about my work is my website, lostandforged.com. You spell out the word and, lost, sort of like lost and found, but lost and forged, forged metalwork. And my blog is part of the website, all my products, the online store, it's all part of the same website. That's the best place to go. Okay. And I think you had something to offer us today too. I do. So I always offer, if you sign up for my email list, you always get a 15% discount for your first order within two weeks. But for listeners of the show, I'm offering a 20% discount on the spoon ring of your choice. So there's all kinds of fun spoon rings. And so the gift code or discount code is unwrapped. Okay. For your podcast listeners, Sue. And that's for first two weeks after this podcast airs. So it's the last two weeks of July. You can get a 20% discount off of any spoon ring from my website using the gift code UNWRAPPED. Perfect. So then you have until July 31st, 2022 to take advantage of the 20% off gift that Doug's given us. So that's amazing, Doug. Thank you so much. You better like have a lot of rings there for us to choose from. Oh, I do. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Doug. I mean, it's been such a... First off, just going from rabbi to artisan and making that flip. I know you're still doing both, but making that flip is such an interesting concept, first off. And then the whole development of Lost and Forged in terms of validation, all that you've put together. I'm still a little blown away that you put up an Etsy shop and a website at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> I will put you in the category of overachiever. You'll accept it, right? With pride. I don't recommend it, but hey, that's what I did. <laughs> Hey, we all do it our own way. And I think that that is amazing. 
So, Doug, thank you so, so much for giving us an inside peek into the development of Lost and Forged and everything that you've shared with us today. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Sue, for taking the time to talk to me. And thanks for all you do to walk entrepreneurs and artists and makers through important steps of building and growing our businesses. Oh, thank you so much for that. Take care. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, Sue. Wow. (laughs) Let's summarize what Doug did to get his business to where it is today. He had an open mind and tried out a number of business ideas. He validated his product early on. He now sells in person on Etsy and his own website, all while collecting email addresses and interacting with his customers regularly. And he has a fabulous creation story and makes gorgeous, unique products. If you're just starting out, re-listen to this one with pen and paper at the ready. It truly is a model to follow. Before you move on to your next activity today, make sure to get your name on the list for at least one Gift Biz Bash. You can see the dates and times for upcoming sessions and get signed up over at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash bash. And if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to show support, a rating and review would be wonderful. It helps spread the word about the show, too, so it's a great way to pay it forward. There's also another way to get something tangible in exchange for your support. Visit my merch shop for a wide variety of inspirational items like mugs, journals, water bottles, and more, featuring logos, images, and quotes to inspire you throughout your day makes a great gift too. And we've just added some new products for the season. Which is my favorite design right now? It's a toss-up with that gorgeous lemonade image and a quote about refreshing and the beautiful butterfly design. What's yours? Turnaround is quick and the quality is top-notch. Nothing but the best for you. Take a look at all the options at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash shop. All proceeds from these purchases helps me offset the costs of producing this podcast. And now be safe and well, and I'll see you again next time on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.